0: Protests continue across the country. The sounds of unrest in America. Hello, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. A nation in crisis after a sixth straight day of protests and violence in cities throughout the country following the killing of George Floyd, an unarmed black man by police officers in Minneapolis. Peaceful protests calling for radical change and accountability over police killings contrasted with violent looting, burning fires, and graffiti-marring cities across America. More than 4,000 people have been arrested in the week since Floyd's death, and several people have been killed. Joining me now to discuss more on these protests and the violence sweeping the nation and the underlying dynamic is CNN legal analyst Laura Coates. Laura, thanks so much for being here. I'm
1: happy to be with you.
0: So I know you're just back from uh, Minneapolis where you were over the weekend. It's also your hometown, is my understanding. Uh, Just before we even delve into all that is going on across the country. I would love to just hear your initial impressions of that home city of yours. You were there. What did you see? What did you experience?
1: It was really disorienting. You know, I was raised in St. Paul, right across the river. I bought my first house in Minneapolis, four blocks away from where George Floyd was killed. This was the neighborhood that I lived in for some time. It's down the street from where I used to do my grocery shopping, which is the Target and the Cub Foods that have now, you know, been destroyed in many respects, and it's so close to home, both figuratively and literally, that it was disorienting seeing not only, you know, cars on fire or um, looting and violence and destruction, but also it was disorienting to know that although we are aware of just how pervasive and systemic officer-involved encounters like this, like excessive force, have been documented over the course of history, and particularly in modern times tracked with the media, it was disorienting to see it happen there in Minneapolis, to have it actually happen so close to home. And of course, this is the third in just as many years almost. You're talking about Philando Castile, Jamar Clark, and now Mr. George Floyd. And it was so disorienting for me. It didn't look like a place in the United States let alone a place in St. Paul, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, the North Star State. It was really hard to see. And the community was frustrated because, on the one hand, they did not want their their town, their city to be synonymous with such tragedy. On the other hand, they couldn't bear that it had happened at all and that they wanted to do something about it.
0: I'm just wondering, when you look across America, and you see the images coming from all those cities, Laura, especially with your background as as a lawyer, as a prosecutor, I just want to understand, how do you keep in your mind the law and order component, the not wanting to see violent destruction and graffiti with the clear desire of so many Americans to make their voices heard to get society to change? How do you Bring those two together specifically with your background.
1: It's about compartmentalizing with compassion in many respects and with common sense. And there really is, David, this entrenched systemic issue at play. But there is a clear delineation between the ideological protests and a opportunistic body of people who are trying to exploit the tragedy for self gain. These are very, these are two very different missions that are here. And we're talking about the response to the killing of George Floyd and all of the not only existing and past and potential George Floyds all across this country, which is what people were really fighting for, there is a clear divide between those who are reacting to the symbolism and the reality of George Floyd. And there are those who are using this almost as an astroturfing mechanism to say, aha, here's an opportunity for us to exploit this tragedy and do what we would want to do anyway and try to stir up controversy and try to attack different structures or just try to loot without any mission and purpose whatsoever. And so what I was seeing over the weekend and seeing from not only my hometown, but hometowns across the country, was that decision, the idea of making sure people were aware that there is a clear divide between those who are protesting in in favor of justice and those who are looting in the interest of more Anarchy. And so I guess the biggest thing I saw, and when I look at it as a former prosecutor and a civil rights attorney, is that that phrase, say his name. Now that has taken on a whole new context. We've known and we've seen it from Sandra Bland to Philando Castile to George Floyd to um, Eric Garner to, to Tamir Rice. I mean, the list goes on. It could take the length of 72 podcasts just to be able to say the names in the recent years. But say his name is a different context now because it is an effort to reorient the conversation away from a focus simply on violent looters who are hijacking, in many respects, the ideological protest and reorienting the conversation to what happened to George Floyd. And I think that was a really big effort that was made across the country. I saw people in Minneapolis alone who were cleaning up the community after there had been destruction, trying to continually reorient the conversation, who were calling for legislative action in the form of, hey, we need to codify... A duty to intervene by these officers. If you see your fellow officer engaging in excessive force, you have a duty that should have already been obvious. But now you have a legislatively codified duty to intervene, to stop it. Part of the reason it's systemic nationwide is because we don't have sufficient tracking mechanisms to know if an officer is problematic. There has to be a mechanism to track to make sure there's training. And that the, the quote unquote bad apples that are often referenced are removed from the overwhelming bunch. And finally, it's an idea of what can be done, not only with the prosecution, but with the judicial branch. Now, the prosecution has a really interesting role here. And as you know, David, um, the community was so vocal, not only in Minnesota, but other places, that the Hennepin County attorney not be the one to prosecute this case alone. They've called in former congressmen, Current Minnesota Attorney General, first African-American to be elected statewide in Minnesota, Keith Ellison, to now take the reins at this case.
0: I just want to get a sense from you when you discuss the difference between members of the community, the folks that are out there cleaning up the graffiti, the, the ones that are out there peacefully protesting uh, to make sure change comes versus those that you say are hijacking it, I think was the word you used, uh, for their own purposes. How do we as a viewing public and a reading public understand the size of each of those groups? do how we get our viewers to properly assess those two different groups you just talked about
1: it's so difficult to really you know quantify the numbers of people who were out there versus the number of people who may have been almost you know interloping in it, but what I saw overwhelmingly from the community that I used to live in from talking to people, I you know I, I went to the street I used to live on. I was walking up and down the area, talking to people in the community both in St. Paul and Minneapolis and the surrounding areas, and people would come up to me and overwhelmingly would want it to be known, this is not us, this is not who we are. And they would go not just beyond the idea of not wanting it to be Minnesota. It was the idea of they had talked to people who were largely responsible for the destructive elements after the protests, that those people were not necessarily from the area, or if they were, they weren't acting in the interest or present because of the killing of George Floyd. They were using this opportunity essentially to... Um, be reactive and provocateurs in a different context. And so it's hard to quantify, but from the response and the community outpouring of people who were volunteering, just showing up. I mean, you'd go into the parking lot areas near the precinct that was burned down in front of the area where our own colleague, Omar Jimenez, was arrested along with his crew. And you would see People out there and I'd ask, well, how, you know, who organized this that you're out here? Who organized it? They'd say, no, we just showed up because we wanted to help and there were some brooms along the wall or we brought our own. And they were so vocal about it, wanting to make sure that the message was clear about what they were standing for. You saw children out there with their families, young infants in their mother's, you know, carriers. They had, you know, young kids who were sweeping up. You had people who were at the memorial site. You had peaceful rallies and demonstrations talking about this very issue. About About wanting it to be known that they were there for the ideological. And the specific context, also the leadership in Minnesota, including the St. Paul mayor, uh, Melvin Carter, who I actually grew up with, and the Minneapolis mayor and the governor of Minnesota as well. were all talking about one of the reasons they were using the curfew was to draw a distinction between those who were going to be peaceful and those who had a clear purpose and those whose intention was to distract was to reframe the conversation and get us talking about the violence on the property as opposed to violence towards George Floyd.
0: Let me just ask you a couple of uh, put your big legal expert hat on for me here. In Minneapolis, the hearing for the officer charged with third degree murder has been delayed a week. What should we read into that? What is the reason for that? Why is it delayed?
1: You know, hearings are often delayed normally because they're trying to as defense counsel or the prosecution. The prosecution may want to delay it because they want to gather additional evidence if they're looking at increasing a charge or decreasing a charge. Normally, they would increase a charge. The third degree murder contact you're talking about is important because that is essentially by statute that you have unintentionally engaged in behavior behavior and it sounds counterintuitive, you've unintentionally engaged in behavior that you knew would cause somebody or was foreseeable that somebody would die or be killed by your own actions. And so it's that depraved heart. The difference between third degree murder and second degree murder is that component of intent. And so it could be that the prosecution is looking to gather additional evidence to base an even higher charge, because the higher the charge, frankly, David, the more likely it is the person is held in jail jail until a trial. It also could be an issue of security because that's going to be a consideration. This officer, whether um, people would like to admit it or not, and while you can still have the presumption of innocence in the American justice system, he is persona non grata to say the least. And the idea of him being released or accelerating release, even if it's requested in the midst of you know recent protests, may present a higher risk of security and safety issues for all parties involved. So it may be a factor of all those things combined.
0: You know, the Minneapolis police chief visited the memorial for Floyd last night on CNN, actually told the family of George Floyd. He thinks those other officers are complicit. I want you to hear this sound.
1: The Floyd family has asked if you are going to get justice for George Floyd by making sure that the other officers are arrested and that eventually convicted.
0: To the Floyd family, um, being silent or not intervening, to me, you're complicit. So I don't see a level of distinction any different. Silence and inaction, you're complicit. Do you think it's hard to imagine when you hear a police chief say something like that to our our Sarah Seidner that these other officers, uh, it's hard to imagine they won't be charged, right?
1: It is hard to imagine if the community really seems to revere this police chief. Normally when you have officer-involved killings the first person who is attacked, you know, verbally and in terms of the public opinion court is the every member of the police department, including the chief. Here in Minneapolis, they did not seem to at all fault him. They they credited him for the swift action of firing these individuals, all four officers. So I'm not too shocked that he believes that it was complicit based on his firing of them. But ultimately, ultimately, the idea that we would have video footage, not just of Officer Chauvin kneeling for so long on George Floyd's neck, but there's footage we've aired on CNN of the other officers at different points in time either kneeling, contributing to, acting in concert with in a way that we think about accomplice liability. Meaning, look... You all seem to have planned either this event. and If you didn't plan the event at the outset, you planned not to act in a way that was in line with the interests of public safety and public service, and you did not act to stop what you heard this man saying. The constriction of his breath, the community members calling out, begging for this man's life, all of those things will contribute to not only the sentiment the crowds have been having all across the country, but also likely to charge. Think about it, David. We haven't even really um, heard the names of these officers. They haven't broken down the demographics of these officers. We don't know what it will, what what response the community will have once all that is known, and what charges they may have for being present and failing to act.
0: Laura, before I let you go, you mentioned "quote unquote" bad apples before. The national security advisor to the president of the United States says that he doesn't think there is systemic racism in law enforcement matters, it seems, and uh, he isolates just some bad apples. Can some bad apples create the kind of horrific history that you ticked through some of without a system that allowed them to to be there?
1: You know... His statement would be laughable if not for the current state of affairs and the tragedy that can, keeps unfolding because it, it happens to be illogical and it is tone deaf. Look across the country. The reason there is reaction is because there is fear and acknowledgement that George Floyd could be anybody any time in these areas.
0: Laura Coates, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today about your observations this weekend and your larger wisdom here is greatly appreciated. So thanks a lot. Thank you. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. It is really good to be back after a month off for the birth of my daughter, Olivia, who's doing really well and is wonderful. And I got to tell you, it is a really Strange thing to have these two huge news stories, a pandemic and the economic fallout of that, as well as the death of George Floyd and all of the reaction that is happening across the country to that. And I've been in this cocoon of four weeks of pure joy enjoying my new daughter and creating a family and seeing all that is pure and good day in and day out against this backdrop has been an unbelievable contrast for me. But I am eager to be back at work to cover these hugely important stories. Thanks, as always, for listening. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps other people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag #TheDailyDC. DC. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow.